If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Those of you who follow this podcast know that we have a few regular features. In Church Chats with Ed, my Protestant friend Ed and I talk about the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. In Book Club, Corey Lakatos and I discuss Catholic novels. In the Worldviews episodes, we examine and respond to Catholicism's competitors for hearts and minds in the 21st century. Today, we're introducing a new recurring segment about the Eucharist. Now, for those of you who are curious about Catholicism but don't know much about it yet, the Eucharist is the sacrament in which we take bread and wine, which has been turned into the body and blood of Christ. I know some of you have questions like, is that for real? How is that possible? Isn't it just a symbol? And why do Catholics take it so literally and so seriously and so often? Why won't they take communion with non-Catholics? And why is communion forbidden to some people? Well, those are all great questions. And answering them, and many more, will be the purpose of these episodes. Because the Eucharist, or communion as some Protestants call it, is a really big deal in Catholicism. In fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church calls it the source and summit of the Christian life. Now, as Corey and I explain in this first Eucharistic episode, the Catholic bishops in the United States have asked all Catholics to spend the next three years learning about the Eucharist, becoming more devoted to the Blessed Sacrament, and sharing it with the world. So, I'm going to do my part and do my best to teach as much about it as I can over the next couple of years. You'll be able to find these episodes and other resources by searching for the tag Eucharist on the ConsideringCatholicism.com website. And if you have any questions or thoughts to share, write me an email, greg at ConsideringCatholicism.com. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. So, Corey, the USCCB which is the United States Council of Catholic Bishops. I think it's the conference, but yep. Okay. I stand corrected. Conference, <laughs> yeah. council, whatever. Whatever. Bunch of bishops. <laughs> right. All the bishops. <laughs> all the bishops in America uh, have a council or a conference or whatever. They've got something. They've got something. They've got an organization. And they have um, come together 
and declared a three-year program that they're calling the Eucharistic Revival or a mm-hmm. program of Eucharistic Revival that's going to take place over at, you know, 36 months or three successive liturgical years. Um, and it's a big deal. And if you're a Catholic and you're an employee of the Catholic Church and whatever, it is a huge deal. They are really kind of shoving all their chips into the middle of the table on this deal and saying this is super important and we want uh, every diocese, every parish, every Catholic organization, every Catholic pastor, employee, whatever, to put our resources, deploy all of our resources to this three-year program of Eucharistic Revival. So it's a big deal. So I thought at some point we would maybe share here the who, what, where, when, and why of it. So as our communications director and uh, all the different hats that you wear with Lane and everything else, uh, why don't you share the who, what, where, when, and why of this three-year Eucharistic Revival program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are, are two factors that have come up in everything that I've I've read and heard about the bishop's reasoning on this. Um, one is a, a real crisis in belief in the doctrine about the Eucharist that, that the church teaches um, among Catholics in the United States. Um, I believe it, it was in 2019, um, there was a major uh, Pew Research poll um, that indicated that only roughly a third of people who identified as Catholics um, believed in the doctrine of transubstantiation, um, essentially that that Christ is truly present in his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, um, and that it is not merely a symbol. Quite a number of, of the respondents to that survey identified the Eucharist as symbolic of, of Christ's presence um, rather than being his real presence. Um, and so we have a, a crisis of belief, or you might phrase it as a catechetical crisis um, in the U.S. church. Um, but then another factor that the bishops have identified is, is simply just the level of um, divisiveness in the church right now. The, the the factor of disunity in the church, and that's not just the political disunity that we see throughout society, um, but disunion between what are perceived as liberals or conservatives in the church or different cultural disunities um, that were not united in the way that we ought to be as, as members of the body of Christ. And so both of these problems or, or issues are related intimately to the Eucharist. Uh, the, the first one is obvious, of course, um, because um, the Eucharist is, um, is Christ's true presence among us. It's the center of the Christian life. Um, the, the Second Vatican Council called it the source and summit of the Christian life, that if we don't have a proper belief in the Eucharist, um, then, our, then our whole walk with Christ is, is thrown out of whack. But then the Eucharist is also our, our center of unity um, with Christ and with each other as Christians, that, that it is our communion primarily and, and foremost with Christ, but we, we only achieve communion with each other as Christians um, if we are already united with Christ. We are members of his body and therefore united with him, but also with each other. Um, and so a, a crisis in belief and practice related to the Eucharist is intimately related to that, that issue of, of division in the church. Um, and so those are the two main factors that I've seen the bishops identify as, as being motivators for this revival. 
Now, one of the things that precipitated this was as they looked at the divisions, the, the failures of belief that you see, not only from mm-hmm. that Pew Research study, but from any number of different feedback loops. Sure. Or, or even just look at the number of Catholics who don't attend mass regularly. Right. Yeah. But also some of the political controversies that have arisen. Sure. So uh, I don't think it's any secret to say that the... Uh, that the Catholic hierarchy is unhappy about Catholic politicians mm-hmm. who support, you know, abortion or whatnot and these kinds of things. Um, and th- various bishops or cardinals or whatever popes have been more or less vocal about it, but I don't think there's anybody that defends it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that came out of that, that precipitated this was a statement that they put out was a year or so or something ago on what they called Eucharistic coherence. Right. Do you want to talk about what Eucharistic coherence means or what they meant by that and how that... Yeah, yeah, it's an odd-sounding buzzword, but but essentially what they're saying is your walk and your talk essentially in alignment with with Christ and and with the Eucharist. So by receiving the Eucharist, um, we affect and we proclaim that we are united with Christ. We are in communion with him and his church. But if we are doing and believing things that are contrary to Christ and to his church, then there's an incoherence. Um, We are not aligned with that. And, And the church teaches that in order to receive the Eucharist worthily, we need to be in that state of coherence or, or we might more commonly or more properly call it a state of grace, that we, we are not in mortal sin, that we are in union with Christ and we are not espousing things that are, that are contrary to his will. And so this Eucharistic coherence document, the, the big headline thing was, of course, politicians um, espousing things like abortion or, or uh, homosexuality or these kinds of things, but is really of much broader um, application to, to each Catholic, a call to an examination of conscience to say, are there ways in which I am Eucharistically incoherent. Sure, right. I mean, because it's not, you know, it's easy to point to the politician who is advocating for abortion or, you know, same-sex marriage or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, the issue is. But at a a small level, when we uh, take the Eucharist and then Mm -hmm. engage in moral behaviors or actions or whatever that are incoherent, that that, that are not integrous with that, it's, it's hard to reconcile, as you say, on the one hand, are coming forward to take communion mm-hmm. and proclaiming that we are in fellowship with, with Christ and his church. And on the other hand, uh, walking out of church 20 minutes later and, and not being. Mm-hmm. And they realized the bishops in this meeting or a series of meetings they had about a year or so ago mm-hmm. that this Eucharistic incoherence, as they called it, I mean, since that, that's their diagnosis of the problem, mm-hmm. that they needed to address that. And the way they addressed it was to call for a, what they're calling Eucharistic revival, right. which is uh, trying to begin to teach on and do various things to say a little bit about what that program is. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned earlier, it's a three-year revival. Um, and so there are different phases to it. Um, the first phase um, started in the summer of 2022 um, and will go through to the following summer of 2023. Um, so it began with the Feast of Corpus Christi, um, which is explicitly about the Eucharist and about Christ's presence um, in the Eucharist. Um, For those who haven't figured it out, well, what does Corpus Christi mean? It's, a yes. fo- it's almost like a foreign language. It is. It's, it's Latin. Um, Corpus Christi means body of Christ. Um, so Corpus, um, think 
corpse, right. <laughs> um, for lack, lack of a better word. Um, Christi, of course, is Christ. So when we take communion or the priest says, this is the body um, blood of Christ, in Latin, it would be, this is Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. right? And so when you hear that word all the time, there's a city named Corpus Christi right, right. and there's colleges and schools named Corpus Christi, but what it is, is explicitly about the Eucharist. Right, exactly. Um, and so this first year, beginning in 2022, going to the summer of 2023, um, is billed as the diocesan phase. So each diocesan bishop in however many, there are many dioceses in, in the United States, each local church is being encouraged to, to, um, to teach on the Eucharist, to have events centered on the Eucharist, to hold things like adoration and Eucharistic processions, which we can talk about more in a minute, um, in order to nurture um, correct belief about the Eucharist in their diocese, um, and then to to turn that into um, devotion to Christ in the Eucharist. So that's year one. And then year two from summer 2023 um, to summer 2024, is meant to be the parish phase. Um, so it's sort of starting at the level of the diocese, then moving down to the parish and encouraging each pastor and all of the parishioners to uh, think and pray and act about how they can um, do all of that at the level of their local church, how they can build belief and devotion to Christ in the Eucharist there. Um, and that ends in summer 2024 in July with a major event, a national Eucharistic conference that they're going to be holding in Indianapolis in July of 2024. It's the first of its kind event for, I think, almost 50 years. The last time um, I believe it happened was in the mid-70s in the U.S. Um, and so this is an event of, of worship, of, of fellowship, uh, g- gathered around the Eucharist, and is really meant to, um, to be the launching off point for the third phase, which is supposed to be a missional phase. So that, that third year of the revival from 24 to 25 um, is supposed to be us all going out and sharing the gift of the Eucharist with with other Catholics who may have fallen away from it, um, and with the world in general to 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 be evangelistic about the gift that Christ has given us in His presence, the presence of God in the sacrament with us. Yeah. So, what uh, on a practical level? How can people participate in this, and what does that look like? Yeah, um, I think fundamentally it starts with each person. Um, examining their belief about the Eucharist um, and their approach to the Eucharist um, to, to seeking out the church's teaching on it. And there are so many different resources. Of course, um, we we have um, the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, which has resources. And we're going to have a class um, in the fall of, of 2022, which will be centered on the Eucharist. And I'm sure we'll have other things. Um, and we will hear on the Considering Catholicism podcast, this is the first episode mm-hmm. of a series of episodes that will be uh, on, the, on the Eucharist mm-hmm. and uh, Eucharistic teaching and devotion and things like that. So if you're uh, if you search the podcast archives and you enter uh, the word Eucharist, the tag word Eucharist, you'll find all those episodes. Yep. So that's a place to start, and that's not purely intellectual. Of course, that that right. is spiritual as well. That's being in prayer, um, and and especially um, in um, participation in the mass, um, in the mass on Sunday, um, and insofar as people are, are able in masses on on other days as well, of growing in our appreciation for the sacrifice of the mass for. Christ Christ's presence and the way that he invites us into communion 
in the mass. Um, and then there are other ways um, that grow off of that. So there's the practice of Eucharistic adoration, which is prayer in the presence of, of the host of the consecrated Eucharist, um, typically in a chapel or another holy space. Um, that's that's a wonderful way to spend time with our Lord who's present in the Eucharist um, and to, to more deeply imbibe um, that understanding and that experience of, of Christ there. Um, there are Eucharistic processions, which are another great way, and, and that's a very communal way. Uh, we saw um, when the revival began on the Feast of Corpus Christi this past summer, that being practiced throughout the country at parishes, at cathedrals, all over the place. Um, so in, in brief, it's the, the Eucharist being carried in procession by the priest and the people following this kind of symbolic, um, the Eucharist itself is not a symbol, it's Christ, but that we, we go on a journey with, with the Lord in the Eucharist. Um, and, uh, and it's also an evangelistic um, instrument that we are bringing Christ into the streets um, and making him known to, to the people who, who see the procession. So there are events like that. There's the Eucharistic Congress, of course, um, which I know they're, they're expecting many people to be able to go to that. So there's that to consider. And yeah, it, it's really just working Christ's presence in the Eucharist into our everyday life, because as we alluded to earlier, it really is the source and the summit of the Christian life. It's, it's what we're building towards um, during the week. And then we're going out from it and, and Christ's presence in us um, in the Eucharist is what is empowering us to live as his disciples during the week. So I, th I think it's reviving in each of us and in our parishes um, that, that dynamic of belief and devotion. I'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit or ruminate sure. or some kind of aid. What do you think are the barriers or the causes of these problems? I mean, in other words, we've, we've diagnosed the condition mm -hmm. and we've given it a name, Eucharistic incoherence. But what do you think causes that? What are the roots of that? And what are the barriers, not only in individual people's lives, but in communities and in parishes to turning that around. Yeah. Well, I, I think as with any big problems, there are lots of different factors and, and it's not only one thing. Um, the, the doctrine of the Eucharist has been controversial and has caused people to fall away since Christ first articulated it. You see in, in the sixth chapter of John, um, him talking about being the bread of life and you having to, to eat, to, to eat the flesh of the son of man, to, to have eternal life and most of his disciples leaving. And so there, there's always been a, a controversial element to this. Some people don't understand the doctrine. Um, and I think it's incumbent on us and on the church to better articulate it. Um, some simply reject it. I mean, there, there's plenty of either conflicting um, understandings of the Eucharist um, for other Christians or do, for, for yeah, inside the church. Sure. I mean, do you think that in American culture, at least, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak to, well, I don't want to here to get into other parts of the world, but at least within American culture, there is a sort of um, not residual, but sort of a per permeating spirit of Protestantism, a sort of American... Sure, it's kind of know, a default position. Yeah, default position. And sort of American culture is permeated by a Protestant worldview. Yeah, and, and I think there's even and, among... So, so people, I mean, so even Catholic, faithful Catholics, you just you just imbibe that. It's oh, sort yeah. of in the air. And, and part of it is simply a desire to fit in and, and to conform and to be accepted. I mean, things like 
well, the mass for one, but, but especially things like Eucharistic adoration or processions are just perceived as kind of weird. Um, and people don't necessarily understand them. And it's, it's a very public thing. And, and American religion is increasingly seen as, as a sort of private belief and not as much of a, of a public demonstration. At one point in my Protestant days, I would have said that stuff like that, I'm not saying this today, but I would have said that stuff like that, the processions where your people are walking around with a monstrance and a little tent or umbrella over it and everything mm-hmm. else or the adoration stuff is sort of uh, the Catholic equivalent of snake handling, you know, in, in Protestantism. It's just sort of a weird thing. Like it's taking religion in weird directions and it's like kind of extreme and, and weird, you know, because I would always have, you know, uh, atheists or whatever go, well, you know, you're, a, you're an evangelical Christian. So are you into snake handling? And I'm like, well, no, like there's only a few people who are into snake handling, right? <laughs> but, um, that's like a weirdo thing. Like most of us don't do that. But I think that sort of within, um, our culture, the secular culture, radical secular culture, there's a sense in which, well, there's Catholicism and then there's the, the, you know, the weirdo Catholicism where they're marching around with the, with the, you know, the cookie and the monstrance thing. And, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've heard, I mean, I'm not making that up. I've heard any number mm-hmm. of uh, uh, atheists and secularists say right to me and, you know, an argument, not, you know, dialogue or whatever. Um, you know what, you have this cookie, this, this cracker, like the Jesus cracker. And then you guys like, you know, bow down to the Jesus cracker. It's super weird. And, you know, in their mind, that's, kind of the, you know, Catholic equivalent of snake handling. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a certain level, a lot of Catholics who have not been well catechized to encounter that level of bias or resistance, you know, whether it's family members, friends, coworkers or whatever. And they, they feel a little bit like, yeah, you know, that, that, you know, right. Like maybe it makes them feel weird. They don't want to be perceived as weird. So they adopt a sort of comfortable Catholicism that doesn't, have those rough edges. Right. Yeah. And and I think that comes from a kind of default, um, and, and it's not usually, I think among Catholics or other Christians articulated as, as a firm belief in materialism or rationalism, but I think it's, it's kind of just a cultural default to those things of, well, it's a worldview. Right. It's, it's, it's an anti-supernaturalism. Um, it's, it's that, well, yeah, we're religious, but we're not like, weird and like there are it's not that different from everybody else and it's kind of um tamed in that right well i mean you know we we have flags and we have this and brands and we have a thousand other things and it's easy within that worldview to sort of have a materialist worldview and as you say an anti-supernaturalist worldview in which there are symbols all kinds of symbols around us and to go well this is just another symbol Mm-hmm. And so really, I mean, I've, I've got a series here where we talk a lot about worldviews and how, uh, you know, my, my contention is the worldview is, is equivalent to the operating system on your computer. Sure. Whereas your religion or religious beliefs are like an application. Um, they operate within a worldview. So you have a specific uh, belief in the real presence of the Eucharist, but th- that doesn't make sense it doesn't work if it's running an operating system that's a materialist operating system. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't run. So you go, if I've bought into uh, a secularist materialist view of the world and then say, you, someone says, hey, what about like the real presence of the Eucharist and the whole nine You go, it doesn't compute, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, a- adopt a 
worldview or you have to be operating from a worldview in which that makes sense, which is why I always think that we have to go upstream and deal with these kinds of worldview premises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say another factor that gets more to the the disunion or the incoherence um, uh, issue that we are talking about is is just the the individualism um, or the sort of cafeteria nature of American religion. And and again, this is something that a lot of people probably wouldn't wouldn't identify this as part of their personal beliefs, but it's just kind of in the water or, or a default that, that people uh, fall back to is that they are the arbiter uh, personally of, of what is true or what isn't. And so there's a reluctance to believe that what the church teaches, I need to sign on to all of these things in order to belong if I want to receive the Eucharist, but I disagree with the church's teachings on abortion or on sexuality or on the death penalty or whatnot, what have you, then I get to decide what, whether I am coherent or not. Right. I mean, exactly. And so, but, but also with that is a sort of entitlement. So there's a thing you say, what do you mean I can't come down sure. and get the, you know, what, again, I have secular school, like the Jesus cookie, like, why you mean I can't go down and get the white thing? Like everybody else is going down there. You can't tell me I can't go too. Like if that's, you know, are you going to, and so there's a sort of entitlement in an American, Americanism. And Which I think is it, ironic because you've, you've devalued the thing sure, that, that you're wanting. But to don't tell receive. me I can't yeah. get it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. Like everybody's, they're giving out free t-shirts, you know, everybody's getting a t-shirt. Like I can't go down and get the t-shirt too. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a, I, I know I'm being kind of a little flippant here, mm-hmm. but not really, because I think there is a sense in which that's this thing that I'm entitled to get. And if you tell me I can't have it, who are you to tell me I can't have it? And so there's a lot of ways that we got ourselves into this mess. But the point is, is that I think the bishops have realized that we're in a mess and that we have to restore and that, you know, we talk about the Eucharist being the summit of our faith, but in some ways it's the foundation. Sure. The source. The source. And it's the thing from which everything else is built up and built upon. And so if that thing is awry, that that understanding is awry, then everything we build on top of it is awry Mm -hmm. and out of balance. And in some sense where... Eucharistic understanding got uh, out of whack 50, 60 years ago. And I've done, you know, we've done some episodes here about what went wrong with the church in the last 50, sure, 60 sure. years. So 50, 60 years ago, the church kind of got out of whack on these things. And then they, we built several, spent several generations building parishes on faulty premises. Mm-hmm. And now we end up with this incoherence. So I think it's exciting that the bishops are at least recognizing that and saying, we can't just fix the symptoms we have to go back to the cause mm-hmm. and we have to go back to where this thing got sideways and begin readdressing that. And in a sense, rebuilding American Catholicism on a firm understanding and practice of the Eucharist. Right. I mean, revival, I mean, it literally means a return to life. Um, and, and our life is, as Christians comes from the life of Christ, which is literally given to us in the Eucharist. So if we, we go back to that foundation, then that, that's where our life springs anew from. Okay, so as our communications director at Lane and Lane Families and all that stuff, give a little plug here at the end about if anybody's listening to this and they want to learn more, what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
Definitely uh, go to lanecatholic.org. Um, we have resources already, but we're going to have more things. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have um, a course in the fall of uh, 2022 called The Miracle of the Eucharist, um, which will talk in several different ways about the extraordinary thing, really, that Christ does in giving himself to us in the Eucharist, um, that it really is a miracle, um, and that's not an exaggeration. I would also just encourage everybody, um, wh- wherever you are, um, to um, go to the local parish um, that you're in, um, of course, for Mass, but but ask about um, and initiate um, what's going on there for the revival. Because I think that if, if we listen to the Holy Spirit and if we follow where Christ is leading, that this really is an opportunity for a lot of growth and a lot of new life, um, both in, in people's hearts, um, in individuals, um, but then rippling out from there to, to the whole church in the U.S. And you've been instrumental in bringing Eucharistic adoration and processions to, to, yes. to our parish. Uh, what are if someone is interested in bringing those kinds of devotions to their parish? What are some things that they could do? Yeah, absolutely. So r- really, it's it's not a difficult thing to do. It's just a matter of having the people who are willing to do it, um, and then talking with your priest um, and and perhaps with with other staff there, depending, depending on what their roles are at the parish and figuring out just the basic logistics. So you, you would always would need, um, somebody there present with the Eucharist and you can start small. Um, we at our parish had Eucharistic adoration on the first Friday of the month, um, which is a particular, um, devotion in the church, um, for many years. Um, and then we've expanded that in the last few years to also have, um, adoration on Thursdays, every Thursday, um, from mid-afternoon into the evening to give people additional opportunities. Um, we've instituted our, our annual Corpus Christi procession with, with the Eucharist every year. And I have every hope that we'll be able to continue uh, to grow in that direction. So, Gloria, would you mind gathering perhaps be, uh, for us some, some links to mm-hmm. resources and suggestions for the ways that people can get involved and putting that on the Considering Catholicism website? Yeah, absolutely. When we post this episode, we can uh, include all of that. Great. And uh, so uh, go to the website, consideringcatholicism.com, and search the search bar for Eucharist or Eucharistic Revival, and uh, Corey will put some, some links and some resources there available for you. Excellent. Thanks, Corey. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com dot com.